This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine and More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine and More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Hi, my name is Adrian. I'm 20 weeks pregnant, and I'm taking my mostly everyday walk through the National Arboretum Ooh. in Washington, D.C., which is right around the corner from where I live. I can't get enough of the blue skies on this beautiful, crisp morning. This podcast was recorded at 1.55 p.m. on Thursday, October 12th. Things may have changed by the time you hear this, but I will still be trying to get out here mostly every day through the rest of my pregnancy as much as I can. All right, here's the show. The Arboretum is lovely. She's I not love wrong. the Arboretum. It's, I think it's one of the best little secrets of D.C. I was just going to say one of the best kept secrets in D.C. is the fact that the Arboretum has some of the best cherry blossoms uh, of the city. And, yeah, uh, as so if you want to beat the crowd. Yeah, as opposed cherry to having blossoms. to go to the tidal basin, go to the Arboretum. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Susan Davis. I cover politics. I'm Frank Ordonez. I cover the presidential campaign. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, senior political editor and correspondent. And former President Donald Trump, currently the Republican frontrunner, has begun to ramp up his appearances in the early primary states, though he's still there far less than many of his opponents, who he continues to dominate in the polls. Franco, you were just up in New Hampshire spending time with the Trump campaign. What was it like? Um, well, I mean, I think he's doing a few things. One thing you kind of alluded to is he's trying to kind of wrap up the Republican nomination. He's trying to put it to bed that his lead is foremost and trying to really just kind of close the deal. So, I mean, he, he basically focused on two things. One was attacking Biden. He attacked Biden a lot, attacking his politics, blaming him for you know, everything that people are feeling about the economy, any concerns they have, and also blaming him for, you know, the attack in Israel by Hamas, the surprise attack, you know, calling it weak leadership on uh, the Biden administration. So he has been very much going after Biden, kind of trying to paint this as a, a two-person race. At the same time, he did, you know, spend a little bit of time on his rivals in the Republican Party. Um, he talked about DeSantis and basically said that his time is coming to an end and has started to pay a little bit more attention to Nikki Haley as well, as she has kind of risen in the polls, particularly in New Hampshire, uh, and, you know, has given her in recent weeks a new nickname, mm -hmm. Bird Brain, uh, which is, you know, a clear sign that he's paying attention to her rise. What's the environment like of these? Are they similar to what we've seen on TV? Is it like a Trump rally? Are they big events? Are they intimate events? Is he shaking hands? Is he kissing babies? Like, what's the dynamic between him and the voters right now? I mean, they're big events. I mean, I was there. Uh, it was in Wolfboro, New Hampshire, about an hour away from the coast, an hour away from Portsmouth. Um, and there, I got there about an hour before the rally started. And the line was very, very long. And he was not, at least from what I could see and what was presented to me publicly, I mean, maybe things were happening behind closed doors, but he was not, you know, you know, having, you know, shaking a lot of hands with, you know, real people as, you know, folks sometimes expect in New Hampshire, uh, not too much glad handing. Uh, but, you know, he definitely, like in rallies of past, you know, he commanded the microphone, he would riff on things, he would make jokes. Um, people were having, those in the auditorium were having a good time. Domenico Franco said that Trump is trying to sort of lock up 
this nomination fight. How close is he to actually being able to do that? As we said, he's still dominating in the polls. But do you still see some oxygen in this primary race for maybe a surprise or a surgence? Yeah, I mean, Trump certainly has about half of the Republican Party, you know, very enthusiastic for his nomination. Uh, Clearly, we saw in um, our poll that came out earlier this month that you know, the, the Republican Party is certainly more enthusiastic for Trump to be the nominee than Democrats are even to be for Joe Biden to be the nominee. You know, of course, it's not a majority exactly. But there is some, you know, there is a lane for an, you know, a principal alternative to Trump. The problem for that principal alternative is that they have a very hard time standing out among the crowd of other alternatives to Trump. And I think that we're going to have to start seeing that field sort of weed itself out um, in the coming months and after those early primary states. I mean, the one person who's sort of on the tips of everyone's tongues at this point has been Nikki Haley. Trump is in a strong position in the primary, but it, you know, we shouldn't overstate how strong that position is because there are some potential vulnerabilities. I mean, even if you look at our polling, you know, while Republicans said overwhelmingly that they would stick with Trump, even if he was convicted of a crime. Um, you know, that wasn't the same for independents or independents who leaned toward uh, Republicans. And if that electability argument starts to become a thing and somebody like a Haley can, you know, solidify herself as a principal alternative, you know, it's a lot of ifs, it's a lot of buts, uh, but if that can happen, then uh, there is a path, like I said, for somebody else. I also think on substance, you know, Trump in his recent comments about Hezbollah being, quote, very smart in criticizing Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israeli government, he does open himself up to attacks from people within the party as well who don't like that kind of foreign policy and who also are then reminded of the chaos that he brings to the office. A lot of times, two candidates just benefit from timing. And in some ways, Haley had already seen um, sort of a polling bump in New Hampshire. And right now in the current debate that is focused more on foreign policy, especially with the attack on Israel. She seems very comfortable right now having this conversation. She's been doing a ton of television, relying on her uh, experience as UN ambassador. Sometimes people benefit from having the right thing to say at the right time. I don't know if that'll fundamentally change the dynamics in this race, but she seems her campaign and herself seem to be comfortable with where they are at this moment. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think I think it's very interesting watching uh, the foreign policy issues and her kind of showing her strengths there. I mean, it's, I think it wasn't necessarily something that we were anticipating was going to be kind of a. Uh, for lack of better words, kind of a winning issue for Republicans. Republicans at this moment are so focused on domestic issues and want to talk more about domestic issues. You know, when she would speak about Ukraine, um, you know, that didn't necessarily like, you know, catch fire among Republicans. But now, you know, this is a this is a real issue in Israel that's caught a lot of people's attention. So it is, uh, you know, proven to be an advantage to her. And, you know, just as Dominica was saying, you know, Israel, the doing well in the debates and also, you know, just old school retail politicking, uh, you know, spending a lot, a lot of time in these early states, particularly like New Hampshire, you know, she's catching some attention. And this episode with Israel really also reflects Trump's pettiness, too. I mean, going after Netanyahu certainly it seems like a personal attack because Trump didn't really like that Netanyahu praised President Biden for having won the 2020 election and was hoping that someone like Netanyahu would stand by his side, considering the strong pro-Israel stance that Trump had taken as president. But then again, look at that. I mean, it's about 
Trump. It's about himself. It's about whether or not he can have allies who can help him rise to power, not necessarily thinking about the gravity of this moment that we're in. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll talk more about the campaign when we get back. This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine and More. With so many great bottles to choose from at the lowest price, it's easy to find your favorite Cabernet or a new single-barrel bourbon to try with some help from one of their friendly guides. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find only at Total Wine & More. Curbside pickup and delivery available in most areas. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. This message comes from NPR sponsor Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash on investing or wherever you get your podcasts. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And we should note that one Republican candidate has dropped out of the race, Will Hurd, the former Texas congressman who never really gained any traction in the race, although we do thank him for coming on and doing a candidate interview for the NPR Politics podcast. But in getting out of the race, he endorsed Nikki Haley. Will Hurd clearly was running in the Trump should not be president again lane that's still occupied by people like former Governor Chris Christie, former Governor Asa Hutchinson, even former Vice President Mike Pence. But, Domenico, the question I have to you is, if there is this force within the primary field that doesn't want Trump to be the nominee, do these folks need to make a decision before Iowa to either get in or get out or consolidate behind an alternative? Yeah, I don't know if it has to be before Iowa. I mean, I do think that uh, a lot of them will get out after Iowa if they don't have the type of showing that they want. And things will move pretty rapidly in those uh, in that month or two before Super Tuesday for things to really change the shape and dynamic of this race. You know, I think we used to have like a soundtrack or something for when these yeah. candidates dropped out dropped or out. whatever. I because, think we used to do bye, bye, bye. Oh, right. <laughs> That's yeah. right. I forgot. I could attempt to sing it, but I'll <laughs> No, I think well, we need a new song this time. But, um, you know, I mean, Hurd is somebody who, you know, again, ran as an anti-Trump candidate, um, and he really was in this race for a very short period of time. You know, the energy is not really with that type of candidate in the Republican Party, and certainly um, it's difficult for any of them to, to pierce Trump's, you know, ability to, to win over his own base, to be able to get in with any of his voters. So, they are going to have to consolidate if they are going to want to have a, a chance or a hope to be able to, to defeat him. I mean, Trump is leading in the polls. But if you add up the percentages of everyone who's choosing not Trump, 
it's pretty significant. If it was a two-person race, it might be more competitive. Trump has always benefited by a wide-open primary contest because the anti-Trump vote is being divvied up among five, six, seven candidates. I mean, yes. I mean, I think that's what it's going to take in order to uh, defeat Trump in the primaries. I mean, all the Republican strategists that I speak with, they're like, yes, Haley has a shot. Yes, DeSantis may have may have had a shot, but it was all contingent on everybody dropping out. Chris Sununu, for example, a very, very popular governor of New Hampshire. He has talked over and over about Trump is vulnerable, pointing to the polls in New Hampshire that show Trump like a little bit lower than in national polls. Well, he still has a commanding lead even in New Hampshire. And the only way that is going to change is if all the other candidates or most of the other candidates drop out and kind of come under one candidate so that that whole group can kind of be the anti-Trump vote. And that just doesn't seem likely to happen. Another potentially significant development this week is Robert F. Kennedy officially left the Democratic presidential primary and said he will run as an independent candidate. Obviously, independent candidates have a very uphill battle to uh, win the White House. But Domenico, they can have an effect in the outcome of these elections. Yeah, they really can. I mean, I've talked about this before, but you know, it's very unlikely, it seems, if you look at the data, that Trump would get above 47% in this next election if he is the nominee. Um, he didn't get 47% really previously, didn't, didn't really top that. So you know, when you look at Trump's ability to win, the path for him really does rely on a third party. A lot of people want another choice, but it's very unlikely that a third-party candidate would win because of the the entrenched two-party system. It's pretty clear to me that the third-party candidates who are all cropping up, whether it's RFK Jr. and appealing to sort of this, you know, disaffected Joe Rogan sort of crowd, or if it's, you know, uh, Cornell West trying to appeal to more progressive candidates, or this or this threat from no labels to the Democratic Party, which they clearly uh, view as a threat. You know, all of those votes most likely would be pulling mostly from uh, from Biden. At least that's how Democrats feel. And there's a lot of data to back that up. All right. We're going to leave it there for today. We should note that we are following closely the election for the next Speaker of the House. And when we have news to report, we'll be back in your feeds as soon as we can. I'm Susan Davis. I cover politics. I'm Frank Ordonez. I cover the presidential campaign. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, senior political editor and correspondent. And thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Imagine a house where every room follows a different architect's plan. Doorways don't connect. Staircases lead nowhere. Lost Patients is a new podcast examining our complicated system for treating psychosis, one that loses patients to an endless loop between the streets, jail, and hospitals. We'll ask how it got so bad and how it can get better. Listen to Lost Patients from KOW and the Seattle Times, part of the NPR Network.